This morning's scripture is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We are very grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, as always, we want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. If you are looking for a church home, we invite you to consider the work here. I do know that the elders would be more than happy to meet with you and discuss the many opportunities for service in this congregation. And we would love to have you come and work and worship with us in this area. We're going to be looking today at Colossians, the first chapter. <clears throat> I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be focusing our minds for the next few moments on Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. <clears throat> I do want to begin by saying I apologize if the quality of my voice is not yet where it needs to be. I do hope and pray that in the next week or two it's going to be better. I've made progress, but not back to 100%. The theme of our study today is going to be King Jesus. The Apostle Paul pronounced Jesus as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And one of the beautiful things about the book of Colossians is it exalts King Jesus. It exalts the very nature of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In our study today, the first thing that I want to call your attention to is that when we look at Jesus, that he is the creator. Note, if you would, what is said in verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. First of all, I would suggest that when we look at these verses, we are reminded of the preeminence of Jesus. And really what Paul is stressing here is his preeminence over creation. Jesus is the very image of God the Father. That's what the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 at verse 3. And so in verse 15 we think about his superiority, his preeminence over the created order. And certainly that is reflected in his power in creation. Note again what Paul says in verse 16. For by him all things were created. That term all, A-L-L, -L, encompasses everything. Things that you and I see visibly and those things which we cannot see 
visibly. The Bible says, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Do you remember John when he wrote his biography of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said in chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then also we think about the Hebrew writer. In Hebrews chapter 1 at verse 2, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus Christ, that He is the one who made the world. Christ is the Creator. He was the agent by which the world, the universe, was made. You go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 1. And the Bible says in verse 26, Let us, a plurality, according to Moses, a plurality, that is the Godhead, were involved in the creation of the universe. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. In verse 27, the Bible says that God created man in his image and in his likeness. Both male and female, he created them. In chapter 2 at verse 7 of the book of Genesis, the Bible says that God made man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living soul. So you and I, when we think about the universe, the world in which we live, mankind, man that inhabits the world, who created all of that? God did. Now there are people today that would say that we are the products of chance. That the world that exists today is the result of some type of cataclysmic explosion. And that you and I are a part of the evolutionary chain. Well, that's not the case. No, the Bible says that God created all things. God is the one that brought this world into existence. The agent who accomplished all of this was Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. I think about the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 3 at verse 4 where the writer said, Every house is built by some man, but he who built all things is God. And then also think about the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 3. The writer said, By faith we know that the world was made by the word of God. How did this world, this universe, mankind come into existence? The Bible says that God, Christ, spoke them into existence. The psalmist said in Psalm 33, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. You and I today, we are the products of an almighty creator. Individuals who subscribe to the idea that we are the products of chance or evolution need to step back and reflect upon that. How illogical that is. What a, 
What if I were to tell you that this building just appeared overnight, that no one built it, it just appeared? Well, you would say that's the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard. Well, the same thing is true when you begin to try to argue that we are the products of chance, that we just appeared on planet Earth. Now, not only is Christ spoken of as our creator, but he is also spoken of by Paul as our sustainer. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I think about the precision of creation. Have you ever thought about how precise our universe operates? Now, we just read a moment ago that Christ is the one who created all things, those things that are visible and, yes, even invisible. Who created the air that we breathe? The Lord did. What about carbon monoxide? Who created that? The Lord did. What about the wind that blows? Who created that? The Lord did. All right? Who holds all of this in check? Who is the one that upholds all things by the word of his power? That's Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that it is Christ that upholds all things by the word of his power. Did you know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the hub of the universe? In other words, the universe that you and I live in, it is the result of an almighty creator and it is held in balance by a loving God, by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that keeps this universe operating in systematic order, in systematic fashion. Think about the sun. It's just the right distance from the earth. We talk about all of the, the things that hold this universe into into check. What if Jesus Christ were to walk away from all of that? Well, the universe as you and I know it would be chaotic. But that's not the case. You see, one of the things that I believe underscores the inspiration of the Bible and the fact that there is an almighty creator is the fact that this universe operates with symmetry, with precision. It is a universe of order. It's not a universe of chaos. When you and I look at the stars in the heavens, the sun, the moon, and we think about the seasons as they come and they go, well, who's responsible for all of that? The Lord is. And so you and I today, we talk about King Jesus and the fact that He is our Creator. Not only is He our Creator, He is our Sustainer. I'm thankful that we have the Lord behind the universe. In other words, I'm thankful that we have an Almighty God who is responsible for keeping this universe in balance. Sometimes we, we think about the fact that the Lord operates through the realm of providence. 
And I'm grateful to know that God in his providence is at work in the affairs of this world. And that God is upholding this world by the word of his power. But there's a third thing that I want to call your attention to in our study today. Not only is Jesus our creator, he is also our sustainer, and the Bible suggests that he is our redeemer. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our creator. He is our sustainer, and then also he is our redeemer. Now the first thing that Paul brings to mind here in looking at our lesson text has to do with his position, his place in the church. And there are two things that I would call your attention to. First of all, Jesus is the originator of the church. What about the universe? Is Christ preeminent in creation? Absolutely. Is he preeminent in redemption? Well, the answer again would be yes. All right, look at what Paul says in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That word beginning, as used by Paul, denotes origin, active cause, the source from which something came. Who then originated the church? Now, you and I, we talk sometimes about how the church exists according to God's eternal plan. That's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Jesus Christ, just as he was the agent by which the world was made, God was the architect, Christ was the agent through which the world was made. God was the architect of the scheme of redemption, Christ was the agent through which redemption became available to mankind. And the redemption of man has inherent in it the church. Now look again at what Paul said. Speaking of the church, he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning. There are a lot of people today that ask the question, who built the church? Who founded the church? Who originated the church? Well, the Bible says only one person did. That's Jesus Christ. Think for a moment about what Jesus asked the disciples as recorded by Matthew in chapter 16. When he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked, but whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then said to Peter, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, there are two things to consider in Matthew 16, 18. First of all, Jesus is the one who built the church. It belongs to him. It's his church. He originated it. 
And secondly, Jesus used the singular in referring to the church. I will build my church. Not churches, but church. Sometimes people are confused. They ask the question, how many churches are there? The Bible says there is one church. There is one body. In Ephesians 4, at verse 4, Paul said he is the head of the body, or rather in Ephesians 1, verse 22, he is the head of the body, the church. In verse 22, he put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. All right, how many churches, how many bodies are there? There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. So Jesus founded, began one church. He built it. And the psalmist said in Psalm 127 at verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Jesus is not only the founder of the church, he is the foundation of the church. Think about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 at verse 11. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the one who originated the church. But not only did he originate the church, the Bible says he is over the church. Note again verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Who is the head of the church? Well, the Bible says Jesus is. He is the head over this divine body. He built it, he established it, he set it up, he originated it, and he functions as its head. Now, there are a lot of people today that say, well, if Christ is in heaven and we're on earth, then surely we need some kind of governing body on this earth, somebody to serve as the head of the church on earth. Well, we don't need a head on earth. And the reason is because... Jesus left us his will, preserved in the form of the New Testament. How then does Jesus govern the church? How does he function as the head of the church? He left us his word. His word is operative in our lives. In Hebrews 9 verses 15 through 17, the writer says, Christ is the mediator of this new covenant, this New Testament. If you want to ensure that your estate is distributed as you see fit at your death, what do you do? You write out a will. How then did Jesus ensure that his church would function as he saw fit? He left us a will. It is the New Testament. It's called the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. It's called the perfect law of liberty in James 1.25. It's called the law of liberty in James chapter 2. At verse 12. And so, Jesus is not just the originator of the church. He is over the church. Again, think about what Paul said in Ephesians 1.22. He put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And so, his position, his place in the church. But then also, Paul identifies his purpose on the cross. 
Note, if you would, what is said in verse 19. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Now back in verse 15, Jesus is spoken of as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Did you know that Jesus Christ is the second member of the Godhead? And as Paul said in Colossians 2 at verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus was God on earth. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Well, there were two things behind his coming to this earth. Number one, reconciliation. Number two, redemption. So listen to what Paul says in verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. When Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, there was a divine purpose behind his death. That purpose is summed up in redemption. Jesus died to redeem us from sin. And in his death, he made reconciliation possible. Reconciliation is possible to all people. Now, here's the question. Where then are we reconciled to God? Well, think about what Paul said in Ephesians 2 at verse 16. Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body under God through the cross. Where then are we reconciled to God? It's in the one body. It's in the body that Jesus originated. It's in the body that he is over. That's why it's so imperative that we be members of the body of Christ, the church of Christ. The church belongs to whom? It belongs to Christ. Why? Because he founded it. He set it up. He originated it. We are said to be the bride of Christ. We are married to Christ, Romans 7 at verse 4. We enjoy a very intimate relationship with the Lord. And so reconciliation takes place in the body of Christ. All right. How then do I become a member of the church that we read about in the Bible? If reconciliation takes place in the one body, how then do I get into that one body? The Bible tells us. The Bible says, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. What is the body? He's the head of the body. The church, Colossians 1.18. So when I obey the gospel, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, when I repent of my sins, confess his name before others, and am immersed in water, what happens? Well, just back up and look at verse 12 of Colossians 1. Paul said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us or made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He goes on to say, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. When I obey the gospel of Christ, I am delivered out of the power of darkness, out of that sphere that is dominated by the devil. I'm delivered out of 
spiritual darkness out of the world, translate it into the king, into the kingdom of God's dear Son, that is the body of Christ, the church of Christ. And it's in that sphere that Paul said we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. When you obey the gospel of Christ, you enjoy reconciliation and redemption. Paul said that we are redeemed by what? By the blood of his cross. Jesus went to the cross with purpose. That purpose was so that you and I might be cleansed of every sin. That's why when Ananias met Saul of Tarsus, he said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you are then reconciled to God. You're no longer alienated from God. You're no longer considered to be an enemy of God, but rather you are now in fellowship with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and people of like precious faith. And you enjoy all of the spiritual blessings that we read about in the Bible. Every spiritual blessing that you need is available in Christ. Everything you need, it's in Christ. That's why it's so imperative that we obey King Jesus. That we live for King Jesus. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when we obey the gospel of Christ, we enjoy great blessings. There are a lot of reasons why a person ought to obey the gospel of Christ. First and foremost is to be reconciled to God. To enjoy redemption. To be freed from the bondage of sin. To bask in the blessings of the blood of Jesus Christ. John said in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 5, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. The blood of Jesus. We sing the song from time to time, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we close today by asking this question. Who is the king of your life? Have you made Jesus the king of kings in your life? Is he not only your king, but is he your Lord? Is he reigning and ruling in your life today? Well, if not, I have good news. And the good news is you can respond to the gospel of Jesus. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you, when you come to, to believe that he is the son of God and you're willing to repent, to turn from sin, confess his name before others, and then to be immersed in water, God will then add you to his body. And you'll enjoy all of the blessings and favors that he has for you in Christ his son. Have you done that? If you're not faithful, here's what you need to do. You need to make up your mind that you're no longer going to live for the devil. That you're going to leave the world and the attractions of the world and you're going to come back home. You're going to do like that prodigal in the long ago. You're going to repent. Come back to the Lord. 
The Bible says, confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight. Or today, rather. We want to encourage you. Make Jesus the king of your life. Do it today. Do it this morning as we stand and sing.